0: hi hello and welcome to knock knock High. we are the glockham fleckens i am dr glockham Flecken.
1: i am lady glockham Flecken.
0: and we're happy you're here because uh we have a wonderful show lined up for you today Dude, a lot g- of
1: people have been asking for this guest
0: yeah dr mike i don't know it, you may not have heard of him he's 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 got it's, <laughs> it's just he's kind of an emerging uh, voice in medicine no he's he's everywhere i mean we've and he's, he does some incredible work, uh, love watching his videos and uh, the education aspect of it in particular, he does such a good job with as a family physician. But before we get to Dr. Mike, um, it is... February.
1: It is February. And what what is, is February? February is American heart month.
0: It's other things. It's other it's got things. Valentine's Day. Sure. Sometimes it's got a leap. Is this a leap year?
1: Uh what year is it? I don't know
0: why I asked you <laughs> as if as if you like keep track no, of leap years. No, no, no.
1: Last year would have been the leap year.
0: How do you know Did that? you know that
1: leap years Wait, is that right? No, no. Next year is the leap year. Leap years are the same year as presidential elections.
0: There you go. That's yep. how you can remember it. All right, that's a good mnemonic device. Yeah, I think
1: that's true. Don't quote me, but but I'm pretty sure.
0: But most importantly, it is World Heart Month.
1: Nope, American Heart Month. Oh,
0: American Heart Month. The world (laughs) doesn't care.
1: (laughs) The world celebrates in October. But February is American Heart American Month.
0: American Heart Month, and, um, and hearts are a big part of our story. We've talked yep. a little bit about our cardiac arrest before our cardiac uh, arrest. Well, well it kind of <laughs> was in some ways. It was the two of us. Mine was the only one that short short circuited, and so um, it's and and CPR is something we've talked about a lot. Uh, yeah. One thing that you know, I was a physician for about seven years before i had a cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. And not one time in those 7 years did in which i was like thinking about medicine, working in medicine, learning about medicine, at no point did i think, hey, maybe my wife who is not in medicine should learn CPR. Yeah, Never we just sort of assume
1: it. if there's some sort of medical situation, well that's your territory. Yeah. You know, and if there's like Homework help or emotional help or literally any other kind of help—that <laughs> that would be my territory. But medical stuff, we thought you had covered.
0: It didn't work out that way. No. And uh, and so it's um uh you know something that everybody should learn. It should be taught in schools. It should on you know workplaces everywhere because the effect that chest compressions can have on saving your life is is incredible. Uh, out of hospital cardiac arrest, um, one in 10 survive one in 10. And if you, if uh, that person receives, um, appropriate chest compressions and effective chest compressions, their survival goes up to about three and a half out of 10.
1: Well, and depending on how you slice it, it can go even higher than that.
0: The point is though, that is a remarkable improvement with something that is, that is relatively simple. simple. Yeah. That everyone, if you're physically able to do it, you can do it. Uh. And um. And, and so it's uh. There's there's very few things in medicine that are like that, to be honest. That have that effect on survival. Um, um. And so that that's why it's it's just so important.
1: It's very important, and I would also add. Um. You know. You. I think there's a lot of people who are afraid of doing chest compressions because they're afraid of hurting the person but um the person is already dead yeah so you can't hurt them they're more that's right you're just giving them a chance at life and better to have some bruised ribs or even broken ribs yeah, and she have could a chance have broken at all life my,
0: somehow you did it without breaking break any of anything. my ribs I,
1: that, that either maybe i have cause... ribs
0: of steel or you're just so good at chest compression you're able to and do it. it just effectively <laughs> enough to where you saved me, but not broke any of my ribs.
1: Well, you're young and healthy. I think I think that helps. That's a big but, part of
0: it. Yeah, you um, get a little bit more brittle as you get older. But yeah. um well, that makes but me feel young. You Thank you. Oh, you're I like that. <laughs> uh,
1: But even if you don't, you know, even if there's not a good outcome when you gave CPR, just just to try to give that person a chance, you know, um, you've done a good job. That's all you can do. And um, you know, I think a lot of the times we talk about about CPR as a way to save someone. And it certainly is. And that's very important, but but it's also important to recognize the people who attempt to save one, someone and it just wasn't in the cards for that person. Um, So so it's always good, you yeah. know, just to try. Yeah. Give, them, give them every chance they can have.
0: So we'll be talking a little bit about um, chest compressions and things with Dr. Mike because he's done some advocacy work surrounding that. And we just had a great conversation with him. So um, we're excited about this one. We hope you like it.
1: Yeah, he's got a really interesting story.
0: He does very interesting uh, story. We talked a little bit about social media and just you kind know, of yeah. a, a uh, wide-ranging conversation. So, should we get into it and stop just it. talking between ourselves and actually like let people <laughs> let's hear? Let's talk to Doctor Mike. All right, we'll be right back. Doctor Mike, thank you so much for for taking the time to join us. Uh, I'm so excited,
2: and it's awesome yeah. to meet you uh, for the first time, despite our trajectories being quite similar in the social media world.
0: Right? I, it's like, I, I, I feel like I see you all over the place. You probably see me from time to time as well. And um, it's actually, I, I got to make it onto a Dr. Mike video one time, and which was, <laughs> which was very exciting. Uh, and and I, I got one of the shirts you're wearing right now, the chest compression shirt uh, in the shape of a heart. Great design, by the way. I love that thing. Shout yeah, I want it in
1: a lady style.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we I get you it. one. I will you sure. one. absolutely. I, I mean, I have one,
1: but not in a lady style. I, s- I sleep Yours in it every is too night. Big for me. <laughs> it's
2: it's wonderful. Is that like and for uh, educational purposes to make sure that if anything happens, people know here, to do chest here's compression? Here's where you
1: do. Well, I've already I've done it once, so I think I could do it again. Yeah. What an incredible <laughs> yeah. story!
0: It's yeah. pretty wild, and you know, this is um, this episode will be coming out during uh, um, American, American Heart, Heart Month. Heart Month. And, and so,, um, yeah, it's uh, y- you are, you know much better th- at it than I am. She's had more practice at this point than me as an ophthalmologist Probably at doing true. chest compressions. But, um, I wanted to ask you what what was the impetus for uh, moving in that way, doing some advocacy toward you know CPR, and because I really appreciated seeing that from you and and I, th- I think it makes a big difference having physicians, in particular, obviously, talking about this, who have large social media platforms?
2: For sure. Um, For me, my venture into social media land happened uh, without a big plan behind it. So once it occurred, I wanted to do something meaningful with it. And Mm. that constantly shifted depending on where I was, either in my training or coming out of my training, becoming an attending, how big my following was. And specifically, this uh, advocacy around chest compressions came about because I would watch the medical dramas, react to them on my YouTube channel, and constantly I would see them (laughs) not do chest compressions or do them terribly, reach for the defibrillator during asystole, and I would lose my mind yelling at the screen, and it became the mantra for the channel. And somehow it now has transitioned into working with the American Heart Association and getting these uh, CPR kiosks all across the U.S. to getting people to learn how to do proper CPR.
0: But also, have you have you managed to make a change in Hollywood? Has it? Do you <laughs> no. feel like you're having an impact there?
2: No. <laughs>
0: in terms Absolutely of the quality not. of the... I,
2: I, this is a fun fact. I was very close to being on the show Good Doctor, but uh, because of the second wave of the pandemic. Uh, they had ah. to call off shooting, and it was like two weeks quarantine that you had to fly up to Vancouver and do it. So I missed out on that opportunity. But I would have been in the back yelling chest compressions, even if it <laughs> didn't make sense in the scene,
0: and, and, and just telling how to do it appropriately to two inches deep. Yes. come on, exactly. faster, slower. It's it's really uh all over the place with that. And and you know you and you talked about our kind of divergent our paths kind of on social because I I'm the same way. Like I didn't set set out to generate this following in fact for me doing the videos and stuff was just we were locked down in the pandemic Mm -hmm. and um i I didn't really have anything else to do we had to close down our clinics and everything and and started making videos but you and i uh we actually i think we graduated residency the same year you're 2017 yes all right Mm -hmm. and um and and so you are practicing a practicing physician what is your clinic schedule like i've been dying to know
2: Yeah, I work two to three days a week, depending on the week, and uh, one of those days is usually a precepting day where I'm Mm -hmm. watching over residents, teaching procedures, whatever may be that given day. And then the other day, I'm taking care of the patients that I sort of picked up throughout my residency training, and then also seeing patients that are overflow, that would like to see their physicians that are in our practice, but they don't have appointments available and they have an urgent need, so I come in and fill that need.
0: And were you, was it for you in med school, were you family medicine the whole way or did you kind of, you know, go between different things?
2: I guess it depends where in med school we're talking about. In the first two years, I was really interested in surgery and thought that was the field for me. I was good with my hands. I was a big gamer. I saw the future Mm -hmm. of the Da Vinci robot being in my future and... (laughs) As I went into my third year where you would do your clerkships in surgery and I scrubbed into like 60 procedures, I realized it wasn't for me and I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. So a lot of the times, the things that we envision to uh, happen in certain specialties don't actually pan out, which is why when I speak with med students, I'm like, please go and work with a doctor during one of their shifts just to see what they do so that you don't have a, a misconception of what their day to day is like. Because medical dramas are also responsible for that yeah. misinformation. <laughs> That's
0: right. And and also in working with actual, you know, doctors practicing in those specialties is is seeing the the mundane parts of their job. Like what are the things they're dealing with day in and day out that that you that may not be as exciting, but you, you can still stomach it and you know uh, exactly. be okay with doing that. So really, what I'm trying to get at though is why on earth did you not choose ophthalmology as a career?
2: <laughs> uh, honestly, I wasn't smart enough for it.
0: Oh, oh, come on now. Did you yeah. did you ever get to do a, an ophthalmology rotation? Did no. you?
2: In you, fact, no? okay. I openly say I think I have a video coming out this week. My two biggest weaknesses of the human body are the teeth. Like if a patient comes in and says, I that's have something everyone. wrong in my mouth, I have no <laughs> idea what to do. And then the second is the eyeball.
0: Um, so I, I'm sure that you, I mean, you've you had so many experiences. You're in an interesting field taking care of uh, every single part of the human body, which sounds terrifying to me as someone who specializes in something that's two and a half centimeters long. Uh, and so um, uh, I'm sure you have some stories for us. It, I,
2: There's a lot of stories. I mean, there's a lot of things that go wrong. Um, And as you said, it's a field where every day it's humbling how much you don't know. Mm -hmm. And because of the use of resources online, because of ChatGPT, dare I say, now (laughs) my job has become more about helping patients make decisions, helping them understand medical concepts, guiding them through a terribly broken system, rather than being an expert in a given um, body, organ, Mm -hmm. system, what have you. Because everything that I do, as long as I can be a good decision maker, I can get the information and knowledge from good quality resources and then adapt it to my patient. And I can't tell you how often it is that I see a patient and something triggers in my mind about a condition that I think it could be, I have to look it up and I do it right then and there with the patient in the room. And we almost match up the symptoms and what they're experiencing together in order for them to understand why I'm thinking it's more this than something else. Uh, Creating that list of differentials, creating a plan of why. Uh, if this uh, workup doesn't work out, here's the direction I want to go, and it's really become a fun field in my eyes because it's almost like you're playing detective in addition to being a doctor.
0: Yeah, and it's that's something I think a lot of trainees are nervous about moving into the attending part of their career. Is what if I'm I'm expected to know the answer? What do I do? And and. Spoiler alert! There's going to be so many times whenever you are in that first, I mean, even now I'm you know five six years out of training, um, but especially in that first couple of years where you you don't know you're like well I, I think it's this I I think I remember what the medication is for this condition or what the dose is I just have no idea, and and what you don't realize is patients really appreciate uh, you taking the time either in in the room there or out outside the room just to to figure out the right answer. They just they want the right answer. And that's from the want.
1: from the non-medical perspective, I think that's crucially important what you're doing um because we're moving away from this idea that doctors are just this fountain of knowledge, right? And that's the value that they bring to the interaction. Well, now there's knowledge everywhere and there's too much knowledge and not all of it is correct. And so Now, I feel like, you know, the 21st century doctor is going to be somebody who is skilled at doing just what you said, of helping people think critically about the information, understand what's good, what's bad, how things relate to each other, and how that all relates to your specific case as a patient, and helping them go through that thought process rather than just, oh, I have all of this memorized, so just do whatever I tell you.
2: And the sad part is medical school does the exact opposite uh, in educating you. Uh, to set you up for almost failure when you walk into that exam room, you're like, "Okay, right. I can tell you everything you need to know about the Krebs cycle, but I can't <laughs> help you figure out how to get cheaper medications for yourself,
0: or I can't right. help you with your teeth. It's yes. you know, it's not going to happen." Teeth, I'm and eyeball, so sorry. Man. Like,
2: I don't. I it just it wasn't <laughs> taught enough, I, and oh, it's my okay. ophthalmology for me, it's... professors are going to be mad. But
0: <laughs> for me, it's below the nasal bridge. So you, I think okay. you cover a lot more. You know, anatomic parts of the body. Oh, people, you know, so. I
2: actually uh, had a bad situation happen with my eye, where um, so you know, doctors always ask each other to prescribe antibiotics, allergy meds, whatever, yeah. like minor stuff. And I had a, a preseptal cellulitis going on, so oh, no. I looked up you up had to what date. Now? What's
0: <laughs> preseptal cellulitis.
2: I would leave it to the expert to explain. It,
0: yeah, so it's it's an infection of. So, so the, the septum, the orbital septum, is a very important part of the st- structure of the eye. Okay. It separates the back of the eye, so the space behind the eye, uh-huh. from the space in front of the eye. Okay. And so a preceptal cellulitis is an infection, basically, I'm, of the- I'm
1: falling asleep, so I'm just kind of uh, sorry. I, this is very
0: exciting. Uh, the preceptal cellulitis <laughs> is an infection in front of the septum. Okay. Basically, it's like not quite as bad, orbital. so. Uh-huh infection behind the eye sure. is really bad.
1: It's hard to get back there.
0: Yeah, it's hard to get back there. And so the sept- that's why the septum is very important. So if it's an infection in front of the septum, it's still a big deal, but it's easier to treat not I as guess. like potentially, you know, deadly.
1: Right. Yeah. So you had a preceptal
0: cellulitis. That's, yeah, I had that. people
2: are learning. I'm glad people are learning about
0: this today. Yeah. That's good. It,
2: All right. It's a good eye condition. <laughs> and this is to show you why doctors are bad doctors, uh bad patients themselves. Mm-hmm. What did I do? I looked at antibiotic spectrum, what I should use for preceptal cellulitis, and it was double coverage of antibiotic A and B, and one of them happened to be, I think, Augmentin or Amoxicillin on its own, and I asked my friend, who's I did residency with him, I said, hey, can you prescribe this I have preceptal cellulitis? He like, sure, no problem. He sends it through. I take it. Two days later, I'm in a huge rash, and I'm wondering, like, where did I get this rash? I'm going through all the differentials, and I completely forgot I'm allergic to penicillin. Oh, no. <laughs> Like, how do I give myself the medicine (laughs) that I'm allergic to? Like, you would think I would be a better doctor. Meanwhile, for my patients, anytime I'm about to prescribe something, it's two questions. Do you have any allergies? What pharmacy do you use? Right. But for (laughs) myself, never asking that question.
0: (laughs) We are the worst patients. Did did it get better? It did get better, yeah. You got got on something different, I'm guessing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you recognized it.
2: I I think I'm misstating the number of days because I have a a rare delayed hypersensitivity to uh, penicillin. Back in the day, I had mono and my dad gave me amoxicillin. I broke out in the rash. And ever since then, I have this delayed immune hypersensitivity that like four or five days after starting penicillin, I start breaking out in a small rash and it progressively gets worse even though I'm off of it already.
0: Well, I would say that you probably won't make that mistake again, but who knows? I, you know, I don't know. But I, I, you know, I'm with you when it comes to being a, a bad patient. I, you know, have to be reminded to take my medication. Oh, and... yeah, his
1: response to everything is it's fine. Well, you know, it's you get
0: this this skewed view of the world. I think right. a little bit. If you're not
1: dying, then it's fine.
0: <laughs> As a physician, because you know, it's the the minor things seem very minor, but to people who are not in medicine. The minor things can be a big deal, right? Of and or at least you just don't know. And so, yeah, whenever like my kids like, oh, I have a stomach ache, I'm like, hey, you're fine, it's okay.
1: <laughs> so compassionate. Shake it off. Such compassionate care. <laughs> it's not.
0: I would not advocate that as a way to be a, a parent. It's not the yeah. best thing. But I, That's what I'm I here think for. it's my curse as <laughs> as a physician and having seen a lot of you know crazy stuff right, out there. Right.
1: Right. Your barometer's a little <laughs> skewed.
0: I guess so.
2: Well, you guys have a good balanced approach to it. I'm curious: are either of your parents doctors who did that to you as well? Because my dad definitely did that to me, being a USSR doctor.
0: Yeah, no, no, neither of our parents are in medicine. So no. I was, I was the my first. Grandfather in my grandfather was
1: a physician, but oh, he was, a, right, yeah. you know, he's a grandpa, so he's a lot more, you know.
0: Yeah, this is, this is, we're talking very old school, it's like like '60s.
1: Yeah, but he was. Um, he. He's actually he invented the mighty vac, the vacuum extractor that people use in um, labor and delivery. Wow. So I don't know. I feel like he he had a good, you know, compassionate approach to us when yeah. when something would happen.
0: But you, so you see, you, yeah, I know your doctor, your dad was a um, physician in in the USSR. In you said, yeah, in yeah, Russia, and that then must also have made for an interesting upbringing.
2: Yeah, big time because. He not only was a doctor there, but when we immigrated to the United States, he went to medical school and residency all over again. And I was now 10 years old, so I got to watch the whole journey. Most kids are young when their parents are going through that. And it firmly placed rules that I'm not allowed to do poorly in medical school with an excuse because he said, hey, I did it twice in a new language. So (laughs) you can't say a test was hard. That's
0: right. You could, it doesn't matter how many quizzes on the Krebs cycle you have to take, you're gonna pass them. Yeah, and and you got a
1: cheat sheet, you already got to see it once. So, well, I don't
2: know how much I was paying attention to the Krebs cycle at
0: age nine. Having, you know, having gone through med school and residency, I honestly can't imagine like doing it over again. That is is so impressive. Yeah, a different language. I mean, yeah, that's a question I
2: have for you. (laughs) What would it take for something to go wrong in this country that you would leave? Go learn a new language with zero dollars and do residency all over again in medical school. What would it take? What would have to go wrong here?
1: For one, yeah, I I would have to.
2: Yeah,
0: that's true.
1: I'm not doing that again. I don't think my
0: family would be up for it. So that's that's the first thing. I'd have to be guaranteed a position in ophthalmology because I feel like at least you know it's I guess depends on the language, but you know if it's a there's a lot of latin background right for for a lot of what we do and so depending on the language it might be like accessible but still extremely difficult um i i don't think i could do it i don't know I, i don't know what it would take um but what were the conditions i have to ask for your for your dad to make that decision
2: yeah i was so young that i didn't really have any say or knowledge about what was going on in the moment now when i would ask he would point to the current geopolitical situation going on in russia And the the terrible atrocities that are happening in Ukraine, because my father was actually born in the Ukraine and then moved to Russia for his studies. At that time, it was USSR. So it was all one country. And he would say the corruption is terrible. Um, There was anti-Semitism he was concerned about. He didn't think my sister and I had a future there. So he essentially came here for us and um went through that whole journey and i can't again i can't imagine what it would be like for me to do that in another country right now
1: yeah that is the answer you know that's what it would take is if if your children's lives were going to be Mm -hmm. you know very negatively affected i think parents would do just about anything
0: (laughs) and it's just really impressive that uh you know, to make that leap with a family, you know, and, and um, I'm guessing you've got a lot of, did you get any experience? How old were you actually, whenever you came over? Six. The, you're six. Do you have any recollection of, you know, being in hospitals, going to work and seeing that environment? Is that, cause you're pretty Not young, in then. Russia. Not in Russia.
2: In, in the States, there were days like in residency, you'd bring your child to work day and I would come along. <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Like in my residency. dad did his residency in a, in a hospital that no longer exists. And when I went there, um, I remember going to the on-call rooms and being like, "This is so cool! It's like sleepaway camp." Meanwhile, I was like, "This is not sleepaway camp. <laughs> this is
0: like a—it's like a prison cell uh, yeah. of a call room, right?" And uh, well, it goes I can't... to show
2: it's a uh, beauty in the eye of the beholder. You know, I was a kid that looking at bunk beds and seeing how exciting it is. Meanwhile, That's he's true. forty-five years old living in a bunk bed. So, right?
0: Yeah. I honestly, it's a um, uh, you know. I can't think of many things that would make residency more difficult, but bringing your child with you to work <laughs> is probably going to be up on that list. My God.
2: Yeah, I don't know because I'm sure imagine. you were
0: very well behaved at all times and didn't, you know, cause any, you know, commotion. Or yourself,
2: I think I was only invited for questions. an hour or two before they had to get rid of me
0: when it was when it was necessary. And what what kind of medicine did your dad practice?
2: Family medicine.
0: Yeah, he's family medicine too. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. And so when when you said you were very interested in 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 surgery at first, was there a moment really when you decided, okay, this is uh, this is not for me. I I want to go family medicine route, or I want to go kind of a non-surgical route.
2: Yeah, for the time that I was in surgery, I was slowly starting to lose the points that I was initially awarding surgery as my main specialty. And then when I did my family medicine rotation, which happened to be in the community health center of my medical school, I fell in love with the relationships that those doctors had with their patients, that it seemed more real. It seemed Mm -hmm. more connected to the human sitting in front of you. Um, There was that continuity aspect where you got to witness your treatments actually making a change in someone's life. Um, there was, you know, should talk yeah. back and forth between the doctor and the patient in a good way. Whereas yeah. when I was working in surgery or maybe some of the sub sub specialties, it seemed very transactional and quick and just in and out. Here's what you need to know. And I got to run over to the next patient. And it, it never seemed fulfilling for me as a person uh, of where I derive happiness and fulfillment from. So I knew that family medicine was for me based off that first rotation.
0: The the shit talking it, that must be a new york kind of thing probably uh, yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't get a lot of that uh, no? in iowa where i was practicing uh, no? or at least uh, in a in residency yeah iowa you know it's yeah, it's it's a different I, type of vibe i would say between they
1: pride themselves on iowa nice so that yeah, really... is
0: <laughs> but i lo- i love that too being able to have that relationship with a patient to uh, now you probably get more time with your patients than I do, and um, but the longitudinal aspect of it actually is is there's a lot of overlap there between, you know, what you get in family medicine and ophthalmology because we're we're seeing patients throughout their whole life um, and yeah. providing their eye care, and it it's um, it's really great to, and what I tell what I tell students and residents is um, especially with regard to humor, when you're building a relationship with a patient. Even if you only have five minutes, if you can share a laugh, if you can have that back and forth where you have the emotional response of, of of laughing at something together, like that just fast tracks your relationship with that patient so much. So even if it's like five minutes, you are you're so connected there, and um, and so humor, you know, shit talking in 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 uh, in New York or you know dad jokes in <laughs> Iowa, is you know.
2: <laughs> it's, so it's kind of what
0: it is
1: did you do the thing that most teenagers might do where you say oh my parents are in family medicine i'm never don't want anything to do with family medicine and then you go off and turns out life has a way of kicking you right back into where you said you'd never be
2: yeah i would well first of all my dad would try and steer me away from family medicine he's like reimbursements <laughs> oh, are oh, really? great and there's a lot of problems here Maybe this isn't the specialty for you, but um, I would always be like the nickname Dr. Mike came from when I was a teenager. My friends would come to me with sports injuries and I would tell them what to do based on what my dad told me to do. So I was already practicing as a family medicine doctor without a license. I probably could have gotten in trouble then. (laughs) I was like, you got to stretch. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, there's so much there's there's so much you can offer. You know from the field that you're in and i see that in your content you know you're you're addressing there are so many questions that that the general public has about their own bodies about their own health and so you're so in such a prime position to be able to offer that advice or information that's a trusted source of information which is um obviously something that the society is struggling with right is finding those trusted voices and I feel like you, you certainly provide that and, and you're, you're, you're focused a lot of your content on, on giving people that opportunity to hear from somebody who, you know, you can trust what they're saying. And, um, and that's why I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this social media is so important for physicians to be really actively involved in. And it, it can, it's not always easy because there's a lot of, difficult things about social media, you know, a lot of negativity, um, especially toward physicians on social media. So what would you, what advice would you give to young physicians who are just starting out on their medical journey and how to approach social media?
2: I think it's a very messy space. Um... Especially for medical professionals, like if you are someone who just makes comedy content and you don't have a medical board watching over you or patients that trust you and respect you, it's a lot different versus when now you're someone who is treated as an expert or carry some level of certification. So you have to be really careful of how you communicate online. Even the, the line you mentioned earlier with patients in a room and making a joke, and if you can get that joke to land in the first five minutes, it instantly improves the doctor-patient relationship. At the same time, you say the wrong joke, it doesn't land correctly. Yes. No You're faster done. way to destroy a patient. You're <laughs> done. <laughs> totally but now, agree extrapolate this magnitude to every joke you say now gets seen by a million people. And within those million people are individuals who like you, dislike you, don't care about you, share a completely different mindset or life experience than you. So it it becomes very difficult to Mm -hmm. expect young physicians or anyone in the healthcare space to do well in this space without messing up. Because it's nothing about it is human and you're going to make mistakes. And the analogy that I like to give is almost you know to the safest driver i promise you if a police officer follows you long enough you will get a ticket for driving on the line not turning correctly not showing the blinker early enough and on social media if you're a healthcare professional you have essentially a squadron of people following you all the time so you're bound to make a mistake and slip up even if you're trying your best so you have Mm -hmm. to be aware of that ready for it um have things in place to uh, adjust and adapt because it's an unforgiving place. So I, I give it, warning no, I, more than I give information yes, <laughs> when it comes to Yes, no,
0: I, I totally understand, you know, what you're saying. It's, it's um, it, it, being able to mitigate those mistakes by, mm-hmm. you know, and as someone who's been through it and is still going through it, and myself as well, you know, trying to show I, I try to show the mistakes I've made. It's like, look, this I did this and this was the backlash I got. And you probably shouldn't do what I just did. And so trying to help uh you know younger physicians learn from experience because it's it is not um there, there's no like formal education in how to be on social media as a physician, but it's so incredibly important because that's where patients are. Yeah. Right? There that's yes. where they are. There that's where people are getting their information. And so if, so
1: if you're not there, it just leaves a void for misinformation. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, it's, we all need to be out there in some way. D- don't have to be telling jokes or wearing stupid costumes like me, but you could, you could actually be, you know. <laughs> no, I think that works do,
2: best because that <laughs> is not, you're not only where people are, aka social media, but you're also there in a way that's relatable and interesting and engaging uh, because you could be there and give really dense Scientific book information where you're just reading a book, but how many people are going to relate to that? And how well is the algorithm going to reward that content to show it to more people? So it's about being effective just as much as it is actually having a presence there. Even in, uh, I think right before I graduated residency in 2017, I wrote uh, an op ed for the AAFP where I said that the absence of quality evidence based physicians is going to make for a misinformation disaster. And I could not have been more accurate three years down the line because there weren't enough doctors putting out good info. Yeah. There weren't enough people challenging those thoughts. And as a result, it created chaos. But at the same it's, time, I understand why doctors don't want to be there. It's so toxic, it's not uh, rewarding yeah. at many times. And it, it's very tricky. As That's you know.
0: incredible foresight, though. Nice job. <laughs> <He is fortune laughs> well, I mean, I think here. a lot
2: of people were predicting it, but yeah. I was very well, passionate about it. So, yeah.
0: Well, uh, let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll be back with Dr. Mike and we're going to play a little game here. All right. So we'll be right back. Kristen, you know that as an ophthalmologist, I don't tend to get excited about stethoscopes. I
1: do know that, yes.
0: But I have around my neck the Echo Health's 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. This thing is incredible. It's got active background noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification.
1: That's pretty impressive.
0: It, I could practically hear the individual myocytes talking to each other.
1: And I have one too, and mine is rainbow. Yours is much cooler than mine. I know. I might just wear it around the house with the this- Noise cancellation, so I don't have to hear you and the kids. That's fair.
0: You know, this thing would be perfect gift for anybody in healthcare. What? So, we have a special offer for our U.S. audience. Visit EchoHealth.com/kkh and use code Knock50 to experience Echo's digital stethoscope technology. That's E K O Health slash kkh and use knock 50 to get 50 dollars off plus a free case plus free engraving with our exclusive offer all right we are back with dr mike and uh uh mike we're gonna play a a, a little game this is it's it's very simple this is um uh it's ophthalmology is this trivia. simple for an it's, ophthalmologist it's, it, no, it's sim- no, Enough. no, no. It's simple for a non-ophthalmologist. So just to just to make sure we give everyone the right perspective here, uh, non-ophthalmologists get very little formal training or education in ophthalmology, and it's you know it is what it is. There's there's a lot of parts of the things in the body that you got to learn, and so you know there's only so much time. But um, eyeballs, as we've already mentioned, is is one of the things that kind of falls by the wayside a lot of the times, and so I got um,
2: conjunctivitis. Yeah. corneal abrasions. Well, you've already thrown out preceptal
0: cellulitis. You've already thrown out preceptal (laughs) cellulitis. So you're already, uh, you know, better than 99% of non ophthalmologists, I would say. All right. Um, And so here we go. Here I I I I have ten questions for you. And oh no, okay. It, it's it's okay if you don't know the answer. Or we're, this is this is for education. Can I phone a friend? Can I uh, can I make <laughs> a referral? No, you absolutely cannot. There are rules here, Doctor Mike. Okay.
1: Ophthalmology trivia is very serious. Here,
0: this is absolutely very serious business. Um, all right. How many eyes does the typical human being have? We're starting off very <laughs> very basic. All right. I'm gonna. Do you go know the two. answer to that? Very good. Right. I didn't say average person, because I guess that would be slightly less than two. But um, two is how many eyes a typical person has. Name oh, yeah, three that would make an- a trick question.
2: <laughs> it would,
0: it would be. Bit, yeah. I was trying to be... I-, I wanted to be nice to you, though, okay? Mm-hmm. Because this might be a little bit difficult as we get along. So name three anatomic structures inside the eye.
2: Cornea, conjunctiva, sclera.
0: Good. Those are three Three structures in the eye. Um all right. Next question. Question number three. What is an ophthalmologist's greatest fear? Visine. Ooh, Ooh that's an excellent answer. Good answer, but no. The answer is uh, responding to an in-flight medical emergency. That is.
2: <laughs> Didn't you say you hate Visine so much, that, and it's like your biggest fear? It
0: is. It, uh, I might have said that. I do hate Visine more than anything else in the world, but I I fear it. I don't fear it. We're just okay. mortal enemies. That's all. Oh. But that was a that was a really good really good guess. All right, no, responding to in-flight medical emergencies is the ophthalmologist's greatest fear in life. I had to do that And that is an objective answer that is, uh, I think, published in the New
2: England Journal. Hold
1: on, pause. You had to do that before?
2: Yeah, I had to save uh, a gentleman's life on a transatlantic flight. Oh, I did? I read about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He didn't have an EpiPen and he was going into anaphylaxis and we had to MacGyver epinephrine from the cardiac epinephrine that we had on board with a needle like this thick. Oh my god. And good luck doing epinephrine conversions oh, one god. one thousandth on a plane with no Wi-Fi. Oh my god. <laughs> so I it just was messy. kinda
0: you you just you did it and you helped hope for the best. I mean, like that's
2: Well, he that's was dying incredible. otherwise. So Yeah, you had to do, yeah, something, I right? do something. Were
0: you the only person that responded or did you
2: have help? Uh there was a plastic surgeon, but there wasn't much utility Ooh, from that. I would have gone well.
0: with you.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's a good thing he was there, and not you. That
0: oh yeah,
2: that
1: yeah, guy no. got lucky. I,
0: if, if you and I, if I had responded with you, I would be like, like I'm here for moral support. <laughs> all right, you just let me know. Is the patient? Is they, are they wearing contact lenses? I can handle that. That aspect of okay. pop those out. All right, let's do it. next next question here. Um, what is the leading cause of blindness worldwide?
2: Um, I would say That's like one. diabetic related.
0: Diabetic retinopathy, maybe. Retinopathy, it's a good, yeah. good guess.
2: It's cataract, actually. Oh, wow. Cataract. Well, m- Mr. Beast just did this. I probably should have known that. Yeah, I did <laughs> see that. He's, What's he's, your take he's, on that? I'm curious. Uh,
0: I mean, I think that um, it is a huge cause of reversible blindness in the U.S. Um, that's And that's really kind of the the sad thing is worldwide, it is a huge cause of blindness, but it's also so treatable. Like we do the average ophthalmologist does like five hundred cataract surgeries every year. And so it is everybody gets cataracts eventually. And we need we we need it. all obviously in this country but worldwide, it's a much bigger problem, I would say. So I I am man, anytime ophthalmology is in the news, you know, cataracts, whatever, pff, I'm big fan. You should do a so. reaction
2: video to that. That would do really well on YouTube.
0: That, yeah, maybe I will. That's a good I, idea. I should talk. I mean, I got to take advantage of when eyeballs are in the news, right? When exactly. I, people yeah. are talking about it.
2: So is is um, cataracts the leading cause worldwide and also U.S.? I'm curious.
0: Uh, it is a, a reversible vision loss. I would say it is the leading cause of vision loss, but blindness is kind of a subjective term. So True. Um, it's... I would say yes, it is still the leading cause in the U.S., but it's just Got easier it. to get it treated in this country than in lots of places. Got it. Not medical insurance, notwithstanding, obviously. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> um. All right. Next question. We're gonna do a little good or bad. All right. Artificial tears, good or bad? Good. Just good or bad? Good. Good. Visine. Bad. Bad. Very bad. Also, clear eyes is on the Visine spectrum as well. No clear eyes. Sleeping in contacts. Very bad. Very bad. Very bad. Choosing ophthalmology as a career. Amazing. Very good. It's perhaps (laughs) the best choice you could possibly make in medicine. I I don't know. Family medicine. uh, Close second. I don't know. know, I, I just, you know, I'm a little biased. All right. Next. What is the name of a disease where high pressure inside the eye results in loss of your visual field? Glaucoma. Glaucoma. Very nice. High pressure inside the eye. Results in loss of your peripheral vision, glaucoma. All right. We have two, two questions left.
2: Cotton wool spots. Co- Co- no, sorry. <laughs> I, oh. Yeah. Was that the that, next? That thing? was it.
0: You got it. I'm not even going to ask the question. The answer was cotton wool spots. All right. <laughs> what is an ophthalmologist's second greatest fear?
2: Having their heart stop in the middle of the night.
0: He's playing. He's playing to the to to he's my to, the, to my yep, mm-hmm. to my emotions here. Uh, it's not a bad <laughs> guess. No, the uh, it actually is relatively close. The answer is hospitals. Hospitals. Oh, why? We don't because we don't like to go there, Doctor Mike.
1: They mm. don't remember anything don't, about it. We
0: don't. The hospital. Think about it. It never closes. It's always open, even on the weekend. And as an ophthalmologist, that it. Um,
2: it conflicts with the lifestyle selection you have. It, it does
0: made. a little bit. And it's, uh, I, I chose outpatient medicine for a reason. So we just, we try very hard not to go there. And you know, we'll help, but honestly, we have we have somewhat limited use in the you hospital. You help in anyway.
1: the way that like a kid helps you bake.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd say so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the analogy. That's good. Okay. <laughs> Hospitals. All right. Uh, and then, um, a patient reports that this is a patient uh, uh, situation here. So, okay. let's see. A patient reports that they have been seeing flashes of light and a burst of new floaters. Do you have floaters? Oh. I I don't. Do you have you ever had any? Should floaters? I? little things floating around in your vision? No. Do you have? Do you Maybe hey, hey, when I got punched contracts? in the face
2: while uh, boxing. Yeah, yeah, halos. You
0: have halos. Okay, maybe a little astigmatism going on. I don't know. Very a
2: lot of astigmatism. Yeah. My vision's actually yeah. terrible. I was going to ask you for some advice on that.
0: <laughs> what do you? Uh, I he's not wearing the glasses. You're not so wearing you glasses. So when when we have guests that wear glasses, I like to guess their glasses prescription. But oh, you know, interesting. I should have told you ahead of time. I don't
2: even know what they are, so I'm bad at that. <laughs> Again, I don't know what those numbers mean.
0: You didn't know your refraction, own. Refraction. What is, what is so... a refraction? <laughs> no. Um. So flashes of light. And a bunch of new floaters. What is one possible diagnosis?
1: Flashes of light.
0: What do flashes of light represent? I think I know. You probably know just because you hear me take
2: phone.
1: I know. Calls. I think I've known all of these.
2: Did you really? You couldn't ask me that's something about like retinal detachment or macular that's it. That's it. Yeah. you did oh, it.
1: Okay, but <laughs>
2: what? Don't you have total total loss?
0: No. Sometimes uh, retinal detachment it can be. You you do sometimes have a curtain coming over your vision. Yeah, that's like the that's classic a, thing. That was my. But, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Cl- yeah, curtain. Uh, but a lot of times people have flashes of light because that's the retina kind of the initial detachment. Tiring. Okay. Causes these big flashes of light. You got it. Well done. Look I, at I, that. I, I didn't think even need didn't, to
2: use up to date. You, no, <laughs> we didn't.
0: You know, I you know more ophthalmology than you give yourself credit for. So. I think it's because
2: sometimes on YouTube videos, I have to look stuff up about it.
0: That's, that's actually, that's something. That's
1: the only reason he knows anything too. Yeah, (laughs) I know. That's scary.
0: Oh, it, you know, it's it's actually you know whenever because you know when when I'm playing these different characters and different specialties, like I don't know anything about yeah, cardiology. Yeah, not ophthalmology.
1: It's very smart ophthalmologist. Outside of that, oh yeah, it's when you of get the, the that's way. what I'm
0: talking about. Like neurology, nephrology. I don't, I don't. The further I get from med school, the less I know, and so uh, I have to actually do a lot of research. Um, so I'm actually maybe a little bit smarter about like systemic medicine than I you used to be. be. See, know.
2: social media makes you a
0: better <laughs> doctor. It, it, it works. <laughs> Um, well, uh that, that was ophthalmology trivia. Thank you for I have a, a very impl- pressing question me. though. Oh yeah. Oh.
1: I want to know, Dr. Mike, what do you think of his family medicine character?
2: Oh, oh I love it. It's <laughs> me. Had I not had social media <laughs> because I'm very lucky in that I I pretty much work for free as a as a family medicine doctor because of how lucky I am with social media. But had I not been able to dictate, you know, I want longer with this patient because Uh, Again, I'm here for free, so I want longer to be able to help the patient. Mm -hmm. I would have to be seeing a, a new patient for anxiety, depression in 15 minutes where five minutes are reserved for vitals. Now I have 10 minutes to find out who they are, what's going on in their life, create some sort of meaningful relationship. Give... Opt, optimal treatment options d- describe the options have some sort of report yeah. to see if they understand it and it's it's a disaster It's of impossible. a healthcare system so i love your family oh, I actually just i, I remember I you that. you were getting some nonsense on social media about that and i remember tweeting and being like that's ridiculous because yeah we we <laughs> yeah, have to speak out um, against that
0: that's that's the one the one character that people it's a
1: little divisive.
0: Have, it's, a little bit, it's the most divisive character, I would say. And I and I think and I've listened to all the feedback and I think in the end I try to portray family medicine as a little bit of a sympathetic figure just because of how overworked and underappreciated you are. Um and I just I think it, it's just that feel primary care is taken advantage of in a lot of ways in our medical system. And so I think the reason for some of a little bit of the backlash is just because, like, they see someone that's kind of making fun of family medicine, but not really, and it just—I think it strikes some people the wrong way. And I the way it. that It's
2: the way that I see it is they have absolute reason to be hurt because that's the field that's kind of lost its way and hasn't been rewarded in terms of celebration, at least, uh, based on the specialty. Yeah. So they're hurt. But they're displacing their anger at what's going on with the field at you, who is not the person that is deserving of the anger.
0: Oh well, I appreciate that, and uh, I I personally really like that character. It's one of my favorites. So me too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Um, do you have any? Uh, uh, well, actually, we're gonna go into some family, uh, some fan stories real quick. Yeah, so, some uh, listener we'll, submission. Yeah, we'll be right. We have two two uh, fan stories, so uh, we'll be right back with those. All right. Let's see. We're, we're keeping Dr. Mike on with us for this listener mailbag. Um, and that was actually a suggestion from Josh Andrews, 6839, for suggesting that so that you can, can react to it with us about these. Uh, and so we have two stories. The first one comes from Ephrat, And this is this is just kind of a sweet. This is a, a nice little thing here that really gets to caring for, um, you know, older adults. So he says, Ephrat says, I'm a medical intern doing a rotation in family medicine. Today, I took a very sweet 92-year-old's history. While doing a physical, he mentioned that I'll probably hear his heart murmur. With no history of a cardiac disease, I asked him if he ever looked into the murmur and if he knew the cause of it. He responded with, I did some tests and everything looked fine. I guess it's because I met my wife 50 plus years ago and fell so hard in love that I've had a heart murmur ever since.
1: Aww. Aww.
0: When I finished the H&B, he told me, thanks, Efrat. I'm very proud of you.
1: That's so good. Do you know cute. where my dark
2: comedic mind goes with that? <laughs> where? I love dark comedic wife... minds, so please tell me. Okay, so that his wife stressed him out so much he became an IV drug user, <laughs> got bacterial endocarditis, and then developed a heart murmur. But That, that just, escalated that's my comedic quickly. mind. That's not what that... actually happened. Mike, that was the rest of the story. Did you? You (laughs) gotta let me
1: finish these things. He has excellent foresight. Wow,
0: you're like a fortune teller today. (laughs) My goodness, (laughs) but if that that doesn't like tell you that you gotta you know you know work with this patient population. That's why I love older adults so much. They they just will pull stuff like that out of their hat. Uh, Okay. Fan. And there was no endocarditis associated with it, which is great. Um, all Amazing. right. Second story comes from Cassidy. So Cassidy worked as an MA in her dad's surgical office and clinical office to build up some experience before starting PA school. Uh, and she was taking out a patient's stitches after a laparoscopic cholecystectomy. And her dad had already explained to the patient that he had to lay low for a couple of weeks to let the abdominal muscles heal, no heavy lifting, no strenuous exercise, all that stuff. Well, this patient was apparently too embarrassed to ask my dad, a very serious surgeon with very little time, a pressing question. So he asked me, the MA and his daughter of about the same age, hmm, um, I'm getting married soon. And do you know when my fiance and I will be able to have sex again? I had never had anybody ask me that before, so I said I'd ask, and I had asked my dad for the patient, and he said, I don't care what he does as long as he doesn't pull his stitches free. Tell him if it hurts, he needs to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, you know, it's funny, and I'd, when I read that story initially, I, I, it brought me back to the one time I actually had a patient ask me after cataract surgery. There's one time if there is okay to have sex after cataract <laughs> surgery. And um, that was as close to a, a sexual history I think I've had in quite a while. So, what was
2: your advice?
0: Uh, I I said you can't lift anything more than thirty pounds. <laughs> that which which is that's just my standard like post op instructions, <laughs> and I let the patient uh, just extrapolate just decide what that meant for them.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I but I, uh, I, I could yeah. see
2: why you went in that direction.
0: Yeah, you you probably have a lot of a lot more sensitive conversations around sex than I do in my line of work. Imagine. For
2: sure. And also, I unfortunately have to do a lot of pre-surgical, pre-operative clearances for cataract surgery. And for some Ooh, reason, all of that. these ophthalmology practices require EKGs and all of these things that are not mandatory. I was it's I was really
0: hoping you weren't going to bring that up because it is sorry. a bit embarrassing for ophthalmology. No, it's okay. Now I will say, like I never send people for EKGs. I'd, I I honestly I wish that would go away. Now I do send people for cardiac clearance, and the argument you'll get. It, okay. By the way, one thing I is that because you use social...
2: lidocaine and you're worried about arrhythmias or something.
0: Uh, it's it's well, listen. Our surgeries, there are minimally invasive surgeries, last almost six minutes. All right. How do how how am I supposed to know if a patient can tolerate minimal sedation with that? It's five milligrams of Versed. It not 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 five. One milligram. But anyway, I was gonna say, um, you're putting people to sleep. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> no. Yeah, we don't want that. We don't want that. Um, but one thing I I changed in my practice with social media is I stopped saying cardiac clearance and I started saying mm. a preoperative risk assessment.
2: Mm, okay.
0: Which I guess just uh, can I the give wording, you a better one? What's that? Oh, please.
2: Pre-surgical optimization. It's mm. good because that that's what good. these are that's good yeah it's, i can't prevent the patient from having risk but i can lower their risk by optimizing them for the surgery
0: i love it i love it and it's
1: got a nice positive spin on it too yeah and yeah.
0: everybody if you're an ophthalmologist listening to this stop ordering the pre-op ekgs <laughs> or what is what good is that gonna do it's it, you know we don't need that all right, well, thank you to Ephrat uh, and Cassidy for your stories. You can send us yours, knock knock high at human-content.com. Dr. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Um, and so before we go, uh, I want to say you know, thank you for the advocacy again that you've done around chest compressions. As someone who has been saved by chest compressions, that's a big deal. And we need more physicians talking about it because there are very few interventions that have the kind of success that anybody can do. Uh, and that's, that's um, it's such a valuable thing. So thank you for focusing on that.
1: And I would just add my two cents that I've always got to add when we're talking about chest compressions, which is, you know, don't forget about the people that do the chest compressions, because often those are not trained medical professionals. Those are just everyday people and often they're doing it on their loved ones. It's a very, very traumatic experience and you see and hear and feel things that you are not prepared to. Um, and right now, there's just not a lot of support out there for for those people that that do that. So don't forget about those people and and providing the support that they need as well.
2: You're absolutely right.
0: So tell us what what do you have coming up? What do you want people to know about?
2: Check out my podcast where we interview interesting folks um, from not health space. We have athletes, politicians, actors, comedians, really, exciting conversations about not just physical health, but mental health as well. So I'm really excited about the podcast called The Checkup with awesome. Myself.
0: I've 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 seen uh, some clips of it on social media. It's, I, I saw the clip you did. Uh, you posted one recently um, with, uh, oh my gosh, the name's blank. Tony Hale. Uh, Tony Hale,
2: yes. Tony yes. Hale.
1: That can was revise. amazing.
2: That was awesome. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah, he's awesome um, and such an empathetic soul. So it, it was great sharing yeah. that story yeah. with him. It was a good conversation. About chest compressions. That's right. When sometimes should stop chest compressions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Important stuff. And then, you know, if people, if you look hard enough, you can find Dr. Mike on social media. You might really have to dig. It's a little bit tough. He's out there in the corner of the internet. So check him out on, you're on YouTube. You're pretty much everywhere, right? Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Well, thanks again for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate you guys. Well, that was great talking to Dr. Mike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's um, uh, he's got such a a a big following. I like what he's doing, you know, with education in particular. um, Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, especially to a non-medical, you know, audience. And, and so, like you
1: said, it's not always easy to do. You get a lot of pushback and a lot of criticism. Yeah, and the internet is not a very friendly place sometimes. So you kudos do, to him for for sticking it out and yeah, doing that.
0: St- you got you got to have a thick skin. And um, and especially, I mean, his, his platform he has got, you know, 10 million subscribers right. on YouTube. And so, I, you know, I can imagine, you know, there's a lot of stuff that he has to deal with, you know, with that. And so, um, but anyway, yeah, that was awesome. Good yeah. talking with him. Uh, Thank you for the stories also. And if you have your own stories to share, we would love to hear them. Uh, uh, Have you thoughts about our conversations with Dr. Mike or other guests? Um, What do you think about ophthalmology trivia? Do you want me to subject more guests (laughs) to answering (laughs) questions about eyeballs? Because I would love it. Please tell me to do more of that. Uh, There are many ways to hit us up. You can email us, knockknockhi at human-content.com. Visit us on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, 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 we have a, you can hang out with us in our human podcast, human pie. Oh, I always said human, human content, human content podcast family, on Instagram and TikTok at human content pods. Uh, thank you to all the great listeners leaving wonderful feedback and reviews. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out. So we had uh, Nuts About Medicine, Uh, Nuts About, great name, Nuts About Medicine on Apple said, thank you for humanizing what has become a non-humanizing field um, of healthcare, of our healthcare system. And thank you for getting the most depressing the medicine out of the way on your first podcast. <laughs> that Think being might said, be
1: referring to uh, the oncology uh, podcast, Doctor
0: Dr. 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 <laughs> and the oncologist. That being said, having lost both parents to cancer, we need more Doctor Dizons, and I could Absolutely. not agree more. Yes, yeah, sometimes where it will be sillier on this podcast. Sometimes we will be a little bit more serious. i like to give you because that's what medicine is. Yeah, honestly, that's, that's what that's life a, is. That's what life. That's what everything is. Uh, a little bit of serious, a little bit of fun. All right, and uh, a full episodes of this podcast are on YouTube every week at my YouTube channel at and Uh Also, join our Patreon. Tons of cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies. You can hang out with uh, members of the Knock Knock High community. We're active in it. I, I posted a video answering some questions last week. Uh, it was great, and I love interacting with everybody over there. Early ad-free episode access, interactive Q&A livestream events, much more coming as well. Patreon.com slash or go to Flecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, we have new members. New members, Derek N., um, Ra- Rausex something. I'm sorry if I mispronounced these. You know, they're, they're handles. I, I'm not sure. How, you know, I do my best. I do my best. Amy and Shannon. Also, shout out to the Jonathans. We have a pack of Jonathans now. Patrick, Lucia C., Sharon S., Omar, Edward K., Abby H., Stephen G., Roskbox, Jonathan F., Marion W., Dr. Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C., Brianna L., and Becky.
1: I love that we have a Jonathan named Jonathan. Oh,
0: that's true. We do. Jonathan named Jonathan. Uh, it's, it's a little bit meta. All right. Now for Patreon roulette. This is uh, you know for people who sign up as an emergency physician on our Patreon. Uh, you, we will shout you out a random member of, of that tier. So, uh, Patreon roulette. Here we go. Oh, that's my, that's my drum roll. Yeah. Is that yeah. pretty good?
1: It's pretty good. That's
0: pretty good. Shout out to human. Why? Human. Why? I hope I'm saying that correctly. Human. Why? For being a Patreon. We appreciate you. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, next we have diagnosis improv. So this is a new thing we're doing. Uh, So um, if you're, so on Patreon, if you're, I think it's the pediatrician. Uh, If you're the, if you are a pediatrician on our Patreon uh, and you can send us a word, a made up word, any word you want that's safe for work. And we will read that word and try to come up with a diagnosis or a definition or just basically what is that word you just gave to us. And so we have one today. Uh, from Omar, he gave us the word "procto nostrum."
1: Procto. Procto nostrum.
0: nostrum. It okay. does, that does sound like a medical term. It does. What do you think I think, think
1: it, is? it would be when your butt grows a nose. Mm. It's a condition That's in good. which you have a butt nose. Oh,
0: that would. Um, is is it a functional nose?
1: Well, that, I don't think like you want a, a nose like a on your butt, so I I I don't I don't know, it doesn't seem good. <laughs> I don't I don't a think butt? it's desirable.
0: A nose on your butt. <laughs> oh man, what a the what a bad place to It would be
1: bad. It would be unfortunate. I was
0: gonna I like yours better. I was gonna go with Proctonostrum being that um, that everything you smell uh, smells, has, like, smells butt? like butt smells like butt. Like, that. like somehow all the, the neurons that go from your olfactory you know, uh-huh, system to your brain to... somehow get rewired into butt smell.
1: Yeah, that also would be unfortunate. Neither Related of them are conditions. good. Proctonostrum.
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Omar, for that. Thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glock Fleckens. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Mike Varshavsky. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omar Benzvi. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs program, I said that like I was singing it. <laughs> knock Knock Highs, because I, I like the intro so it's much. It's a good I sometimes it's sing it a good it intro. My, um, uh, to learn about our program, disclaimer, and ethics policy, submission, verification, licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to GlockandFlegging.com or reach out to us, knock knock high at human-content.com, with any questions, concerns, or jokes. Yeah, you, know, you can send us jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, I always love a good joke. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Goodbye.